You're listening to So You Want to Be a Photographer with Gina Militia, one of Australia's leading portrait celebrity and lifestyle photographers. With over 25 years' experience in the industry, Gina is a pro photographer who regularly travels the world shooting for some of the country's top magazines and advertisers. She is author of four best-selling books on photography, runs workshops and mentors aspiring photographers all around the world. In conversation with journalist, interviewer and budding amateur photographer Valerie Koo, Gina reveals what it takes to build a successful photography business, provides a sneak peek into life behind the lens and talks about her tips and techniques to get the perfect shot. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 194 of So You Want to Be a Photographer. My name's Valerie Koo and I'm here with Gina Militia. How are you, Gina? I'm great, Valerie. I think my voice is a little bit deeper than normal today. Oh my goodness. <laughs> but, uh, is that possible? <laughs> <laughs> no, one of the uh, – there's many millennials now living in the house. In your house. Um, yes, and uh, one of the guest millennials <laughs> said the other – my son told me this. He said uh, I'd, I'd walked by the room and coughed and, and they'd said, there's a man in the house, and it's like, no, that's my mum. <laughs> <laughs> Deep my voice is at the moment. Oh so my goodness! Just... And what's it like having so many millennials in the house? Oh being in the frat house. It is. It's a frat house. There's just people here all the time, and I wake up and it's like, well, you weren't here last night, but there you are here now, and it's um, well, I'm um, you know. Live is this learn, temporary or oh, are they back away, for good? Well, I just want to run away. Let me just be honest here. Let's just take a second for me to lie mm-hmm. down on the couch and use mm-hmm. this as a bit of therapy. Okay. I want to leave home. Okay. Where will you go? What do you do when your adult children just all come back? You kick them out? Yeah, it's like, you know, (laughs) I still have to be that parent occasionally, but they they go, they come back, they go, they come back. I get used to them gone and then they come Mm. back and it's like Mm. there's readjusting happening. And then there's, you know, all the other vermin that live here, the possums (laughs) and the mice and the the possums now, they've um, had a little baby (laughs) and – um, it's so cute because we've got this um, like giant sort of water feature on the deck and uh, at late at night the possum actually squeezes itself out of the roof backwards <laughs> and drops to the floor with its baby on its back and then they Aww. go over and uh, all the pets and the possums all drink from the communal water hole. It's like we're oh. in Africa, really. It's very cute. And now the baby has learnt to um, – like go off on its own so it's become independent and so but next week thank god the builder's coming to like get it out and seal all that up and we can build that it's been a long process get the possum out get the possums out give them what if they don't get all the possums out and then they seal it in 
No, 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 no. It's it's like it's a whole like exercise in organisation. We talked last week about being the control freak. This is like you've got to uh, organise it basically like a photo shoot. So this has to happen first, then this happens, then this happens, and it's everybody's got to be coordinated to do their job to make sure that the, we get the possums all out safely, lock them mm. out, rehouse them, and mm. yeah, it's a saga. So maybe I can it's do like the same a, with the millennials. A Pixar some movie. Point. I have to build the millennials a new home. To yeah. It is like yeah. a Pixar, but I get attached and it's like, you know. I know. Relocating the mice, little Jimmy Choo and his family. Um, <laughs> enough about me and all my various house guests. How are you? I only have one house guest. Well, he's not a house guest. He's outside the bedroom window and he's an owl. So in the middle of the night, he goes, I really say that. They really say who, don't you? And you yeah. go, what? Yeah. Owl. <laughs> What's his What's his name? I should give him a name, hey. I haven't yeah. given him a name. What do you reckon would be a good name for the owl? What? Sorry? Owl. <laughs> the, like, the whole family could be like who, how, what, where. That's a good name for a, like a, you know, a writer's owl. Okay. <laughs> Something All right. might work. Anyway, everyone, you haven't <laughs> come to the uh, table read of the next Pixar, Pixar movie on, you know, furry animals in your backyard. This is So You Want to Be a Photographer. And we want to give a big shout-out to Marty Strecker. And he has left us a review on iTunes and called it, I love this, called it like a single malt scotch. A man after your own heart, I think. Yeah, that's right. And so Marty has said, listening to your podcasts, Gina and Valerie, is always something I look forward to. While I started listening to them a bit over a year ago now, which meant I had to catch up the earlier ones, the episodes have always had some gems of info and thought-provoking moments. That meant looking at myself, realizing that what you don't know, you don't know, and opening my mind. That is so true. Mm -hmm. I can't say that my photography would be where it is now without those these little gems of wisdom from almost every episode. <laughs> um, I would love to be in the gold community one day so when I actually make a dollar from images, I'll come knocking. Ah, but Marty, <laughs> if, you are, if you go into the gold community, it's very likely you'll make a dollar from your images. Anyway, um, the last several podcasts, though, are something else. Beyond photography, Ian Weldon, what a star about being himself and following his own feel for what he saw as photography and the history of it, taking the time to enjoy the process of making the image and why, as well as not getting caught up in social media likes as validation for good image making. The way you two present this is so loose sometimes. <laughs> and I think that that point in part, nothing in photography needs to be always serious, yet it can be easy enough to learn and you make it seem quite achievable. I look forward to the future podcasts, even though I don't know how you're going to up that game. <laughs> <laughs> thanks Marty I re that's awesome really appreciate you taking the time to write that review um, that's so awesome because it really does help us in the rankings if any other listeners have uh, have any time to leave us a review or rating on iTunes that would be awesome but you've really made our day Marty you have Marty thank you so much loose that's, Valerie Coo. Yeah, yeah we're loose we're loose <laughs> alright um 
We have a listener question, and this is from Keith. Now, Keith has asked us, he's posted a group shot, and it's a group shot of, it looks like a, um, a company um, that sells some kind of robotic equipment <laughs> and there's a whole heap of people in the group in kind of like what looks like a, um, a small stadium or a or a mm. basketball court or or something like that and they've they've got different colored t-shirts on but they're kind of grouped in their colored t-shirts so the ones in black are in a group the ones in orange are in a group ones in red are in a group ones in purple are in the group um ones that look like they're wearing santa hats but there could be something else uh, in another group so there I, I don't know how many people are in this shot i would I say hundred maybe eighty yeah. to hundred in this shot, and he's got them with the robots at the front, and they're kind of in this big group behind them. They look um, like they're pretty happy. So he is saying, and we'll put that image in the show notes, of course, which you can find at GinaMilitia.com. That's M-I-L-I-C-I-A, uh, and. Keith has said, for large groups, would you have done anything different he, differently here? Um, he was saying that this was shot in, at 14 mil, uh, millimeter um, on the 7D Mark II from a 20-foot ladder with only lighting from the ceiling from the gymnasium. The ISO was at 3200, F8 at 140th of a second. I do this shot once a year. This is the third time, and next year I would like to get a less noisy image. Okay, mm. so that's a really, really interesting question because often when we do group shots, they're not 100 people. They're actually, you know, a bridal party of 10 people or they might be six people or they might be, you know, a, a smaller – they're usually smaller group shots and you can take a bit of time with those smaller group shots to, to pose them and to make sure that they it can even look quite artistic. It is a little bit more challenging, admittedly, with um, 80 to 100 people. So, Gina, what – what would you do? Yeah, so I think um, thanks for your question, Keith. I think you've done a great job the last couple of years with this, given that you've got this huge group. So um, I've got a couple of options here that you might consider to take this to the next level. The first thing I'm thinking about is you've got the group in like it looks like a, a hockey stadium or something like that, doesn't it, Val? So you've got the flat yep. floor with the uh, ha- what do you call that when the seating goes up on an angle like that is there a word like for it bleachers right. yeah but you know how they go stagger up what 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 what's that word called stagger up <laughs> <laughs> you're such and a word Smith Valerie Koo on they're on an, an angle so they yeah yeah so in the stands there where the seats are oh, I see that as a perfect opportunity to place your uh your your group so that they are staggered because uh Keith has placed them on the on the flat surface and then got a ladder and shot from above. So I'm just wondering if you use that as leverage and place the group in the stands mm. and then they're all staggered so you've got your people at the back uh, higher than the people at the front so you can see everyone a lot clearer. Now, Great I'm idea. not sure what the lighting would be like in the stands. I imagine that on the flat there where they, they play, whatever ground, that would be beautifully lit. Possibly not as the, – the lighting isn't as great in the stands and that's 
probably why you avoided that area. But if it is still good lighting there, I'd move them back to that area and then they're they're all leveraged and it's a lot easier to see. With mm. your settings there, Keith, you've got your ISO set at 3200. You're using a very, very wide lens and you've got um, F8 as a safety to make sure that you get everyone sharp. But working with a wide lens, you could probably get away with uh, dropping down a stop, so opening up to 5.6, which means that you could drop to an ISO of 1600, and that in itself is going to make your image less noisy. So you're still working with the available light. Very difficult to light a big group like this using artificial light. So I'd drop the ISO to 1600, drop your aperture to f5.6. That's going to give you a better image overall. The other thing that I'd look at is maybe try shooting on a 24 millimeter lens. Now, I, I guess you are restricted by how far up you can go to fit everyone in the group. But the the problem with using very wide lenses is they tend to distort the group. So you sort of notice that the people in the back kind of get smaller than the people in the front because of the uh, distortion that happens with a wide angle lens. So if you can, if it's possible, uh, can you try shooting on, I'd probably go to a 35 millimeter lens that, that is going to give you a lot less distortion. And that means that everyone in the group from front to back is going to look like the same. They'll all be the same size. Option B, Keith, is, and this is taking it to next level, is to organize everyone into groups of maybe um, 25. So four, if there's 100 people, four groups of 25. And then you've got the opportunity to arrange everyone a little bit better and shoot it as a panorama. So you do your first group where you fill the frame with the uh, 25 people and then you move your camera to the next group, fill the frame, and move it to the third group and the fourth group and then stitch stitch the image together. So the resolution is going to be a lot better and uh, you, you might get a, a better image there. And then if you wanted to take it like next level, you could light the whole thing. You'd need uh, a fair bit of light and you'd need to back your lights up and probably not use speed lights but use studio lights like the, uh, instead and you would then get a, a like next level lighting. But I think option A would be the easiest to do without too much mucking around um, with that image. Awesome. Great advice. And what would your advice be, Gina? Because in front of all the people, there's all of the robots and mm. they are kind they in the first they're in the first row basically now yeah. i'm not sure obviously um keith maybe there's some kind of requirement that you shoot all of the robots or you know and there's one two three four five six seven eight about nine or ten robots and mm. they kind of in a little way form a little bit of a barrier between the camera and the people so i'm not sure if you have the option of shooting maybe only four robots in in instead of 10 and if so perhaps they could be placed more at the side and then angled in so that uh, the people are a bit more connected to the camera but of course if you are required to shoot them all then maybe there's no way around that but I'm wondering whether perhaps a different placement of them might um, might also work something to experiment with perhaps 
Yeah, that's, that's a great think, idea, Gina? great suggestion. Yeah, and like if if you didn't have to see all of those uh, contraptions and we've got no idea what they are, so here's a little tech talk taken to the lowest uh, denominator. <laughs> but like you could you could even um, separate them. I, I'd even, if you were shooting this as a, a panorama, you could make the shot a lot wider and sort of stagger the groups, like have 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 the those contraptions in groups of three mm. and then place the people around them so you could have people leaning on them sitting in front of them and that's going to make your shot look a lot more uh, casual and maybe editorial you'll have people sitting on the ground people standing above them and you could maybe uh, bring some ladders in to uh, group the people around it and you're going to get a, 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 a lot more arty shot but you know the people at the back will feature a lot better than than the way you've got it set up now so something to think about Awesome. All right, so let's move on. Now, this episode is brought to you by the Gold Community over at GinaMilitia.com. If you're interested in finding out a little bit more about all the wonderful things that could happen if you're a Gold member, then have a listen to this. Hey guys, are you an enthusiast or pro photographer who wants to take their photography to the next level? I'd love the opportunity to work with you and I want to introduce you to my Gold Community. The Gold Community is an educational resource where members get access to photography courses and regular tutorials. There's over 200 tutorials with more being added each month. In these tutorials, I take you on set with me and I share my thought process behind scouting locations, posing and directing models, lighting and post-production, you get to see the entire shoot from start to finish, from surface in Sri Lanka using a single speed light to character portraits on the streets of Sicily using daylight or high-end studio shoots where I share all my posing and connecting hacks. There's also regular photo critiques, monthly live calls and heaps more. As a member, you'll also have access to my exclusive Facebook group and online forum where you'll be able to connect with other members from all over the world. So what are you waiting for? Join the Gold community today and start taking the kind of photos you've always dreamed of. You can check it out at ginamilitia.com. All right, so this week I believe that you have a special guest for us, Gina. Do tell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, I got a bit geeky for this week's podcast, Val. So um, last month I took my camera in to get the sensor cleaned, and that's something I do on a regular basis. Now, this is something that you can actually uh, do at home yourself, uh, but it's also recommended that you get a technician to do a deep clean of your sensor because you know, they get in there and they clean all the housing and adjust everything. So I do that like maybe once a year, gets all the gunk off and I don't have the um, the guts to do it myself anyway. So but yeah. while I was in there uh, and I take my camera to the camera clinic, this is not an ad. This is the people <laughs> that I have taken my camera to for the last 30 years. They are legends in the uh, photography industry and 
uh, when I was in there, I got chatting to them and, and suddenly they're telling me all this stuff and I'm like, wait, wait, I should get a microphone and start <laughs> recording this. But yeah. then I decided that uh, I'd uh, get Wayne on, who he's one of the techs now, and he's been he's been repairing cameras for like 35 years and he's seen it all and he's got a million stories. So what we've thought of doing is uh, starting a sort of regular Ask Wayne podcast. So imagine if you've got like a burning question about, uh, you know, camera technology or like, and and we can put to rest a lot of the myths that you hear out there about technology that suddenly become fact because they're repeated enough times on the internet, but they're just not true. So I I sat down with him and uh, we we did this interview and uh, we covered a whole heap of uh, topics about, you know, camera failure, what are the most common ways your camera can fail there's Mm. some and he's got some great stories about the really dumb things this make everyone feel better about themselves that uh you know people have brought their cameras in for repair because they've done certain things and i'll just give you a hint that there's a couple that have to do with um wd-40 and (laughs) super glue so um yeah yeah And, and he just because he's like they're pulling cameras apart he knows his stuff and he knows everything about like you know uh, whether or not UV filters are necessary and what is the actual sweet spot of a lens and I learnt some you can hear me through the interview going oh <laughs> when there are all these aha moments so we covered heaps and uh, hope you enjoy it. Wayne Rogers welcome to the show how are you going? Gina pleasure to be here um happy to have a chat. I'm really excited to chat with you. Um, So just for the listeners, uh, where in the world are you? Okay, so we're in Australia, uh, Melbourne. Best city in the world. Yeah, best city (laughs) in the world, absolutely. And Collingwood, which is uh, another interesting part of Melbourne City. Plenty of street artwork around where I am. Yeah, it's fantastic. There's some good murals. And I was actually just noticing uh, the other day when I was dropping my camera off that uh, there's this really cool... uh, a uh, restaurant, it's actually, a, a, is it a, a train carriage that they've uh, popped up on on top of a building? That's correct. There is. There's there's three train carriages on top of a building and, like, you know, the bogies themselves are eight ton, massive crane to lift them on. One of them's a burger restaurant. It's an American-style burger restaurant. That's it's it. Very popular. Fantastic. Yeah, it's very cool. You've got a you've got a great view there from, from where you are. So I dropped my um, – 1DX off to have clean because I, I notice uh, about every year I will be looking at my images and it's never a problem if I'm shooting wide open, which I do a lot, but I, often I'll get if I do a studio shoot and it's suddenly I'm doing, say, a mid-gray background and I'm shooting at, say, F11, F16. It looks like someone's had their lunch all over my camera. The sensor is filthy and I never have the courage. I know some people will open up their camera and uh, clean out the sensor, but I never do that. I always take it to you guys and you do a beautiful job. And then while we were there chatting, I'm like, oh my God, Wayne is just this font of information. I need to bring you on the show. So you you are going to answer all my burning questions and uh, dispel all those myths you hear about photography for us today. And so um, I'm really excited to talk to you about that. So in a nutshell, what 
when people bring their cameras in, are they, is it just like me where it's just basically getting the sensor cleaned? Is that the most common reason? Um, thank you, Gina. Well, I hope we certainly can uh, dispel a few myths and I'm happy to even drop some tips. And even if there's one tip that saves you a trip to a service centre, that's going to be good for you and, and good for us because uh, I think the photographer needs to be empowered to look after their gear. It is a tool. And um, we do see a lot of them here. And most of the reason in answer to that question is because of user uh, misuse or just simply that they're used in harsh conditions. The failure rate of new equipment is fairly low. It's it's under 2.5% for, for domestic cameras and well under 1% for professional cameras. Wow. So the actual, considering the volume sold, it's very low. And considering the piece of equipment, I mean, this is the most complicated piece of electronic equipment most of us will handle or own and it's got uh, micro electronics fine mechanics and precision optics all in one little parcel that sits somewhere in a case or even sometimes in the in the handbag or the glove box and it pulls to be pulled out for that split second that moment in time that will never be repeated and it's got to spring to life and take that one shot and goes so, back to sleep again. <laughs> so are we overly – I mean, I guess uh, uh, as an enthusiast, they're possibly not as paranoid or, uh, yeah, concerned about that camera not working and, and it, it, it lies dormant in a drawer or in a, in a glove box and then suddenly little Johnny has a birthday and it's like, quick, get the camera, take a photo. And, and, it, and it works, whereas maybe as a pro, we're more uh, concerned about it working consistently and you don't want the day that you've got, you know, 5,000 people from around Australia turning up for a, a, a group portrait is the day that your camera decides to, to fail on you. So, uh, so what you're saying is that they two, less than 2% it failed due to camera failure. Yeah, so manufacturing uh, warranty issues or, or, or uh, malfunction of, uh, say, uh, part of the design of the camera. So, so, so you, it's you're less likely today to buy a lemon than you were maybe thirty years ago. Is that? Uh, no, not that's saying they're less likely. Um, the, the, the lemon factor is pretty well based on on this. Is that the the newer the camera, the more radical the feature from the last model the higher the chance of it not being 100% correct the first release. And I always use a bit of a rule of thumb, wait six months from the first release of the model, then buy it. I'm because glad there, you said that. <laughs> if there is any little uh, idiosyncrasies that will be updated in a firmware or a hardware change before they get out to sale. The initial ones may have some idiosyncrasies, but it's are normally well addressed. And that that's why by Australian buy local products you know if you're if you're in the states or canada or uk you buy those products in the in the hometown yeah because um, it's supported that way with with a, a, a national warranty there's not necessarily international warranty on all products there's only a few companies that have international warranty so buy it local support the local co company as well and you're better off with your service there because when you do have a problem you want it to be backed up like you're saying about pro users, it's it's a tool of the trade, so you've yeah. got to treat it in a manner and it's got to be spot on. You can't afford it not to be. 
Exactly. Well, that's a great point. I mean, that's something that I've just done intuitively whenever anything comes out because of my Sicilian suspicious background. I'm like, yes. I don't trust it. It's too new. Let me let me wait and see uh, what's wrong with it. And then generally, uh, I found that it's usually the second version of a particular model uh, that they have ironed out all those bugs and it gets better. By the third, they've like they've really nailed it. I think in the case of yeah, m- many of the cameras that I've had. You know, it's usually by the third version that it's like it's amazing. So yes. um, that's yeah. that's uh, great advice. Now, if if the camera manufacturers did get it spot on all the time, we wouldn't be in business. So we'd only be servicing <laughs> the the failed cameras from impact sand or liquid damage. All right, so that, which takes us to, I guess, the reason why you're doing uh, m- most of the repairs. If the cameras themselves aren't failing, what what are, are the most common reasons that people are bringing their cameras in for repair? So what, what kind of um, owner um, error? <laughs> sure. What yeah. sort of things have you seen? Oh, look, we, we, we've, we've seen some beauties and some ripper stories. I'll probably I'll, I'll share some with, the, with you later. Uh, but I think the, the most common, the most single common complaint we get for photographic equipment in, in the um, uh, prosumer and professional market is focus. And that's a massive subject uh, and it's probably something that might, might spill over a, a few podcasts. But yeah. uh, um, basically the tolerance for focus error on a digital camera is almost zero because – the way that the sensor is designed is it's a counterintuitive to the way that light is focused out, out of a lens. So at the back of the lens, the focus um, point is based on the frequency of light, red, green, blue, for example. Um, they all focus at slightly different points, positions from, from the front of the lens. That's great when you're working with film because film is designed in a layer as well that complements each other. They're right. designed together. Whereas a, a, a Bayer pattern CCD or sensor um, that, that you've all got, a CMOS sensor in the digital camera, their colours are next to each other, the red, green, blue. In actual fact, there's two green, one red, one blue. Uh, pixel, the reason there's two green is because we see more green than any other colour as humans. And they're next to each other, so they don't complement the way that the light is focused outside the lens. So therefore, the fringing on blue might um, come up around the edge of leaves when you've got it against this bright sky. And the reason that blue highlights more than any other colour is simply because it's a lot uh, different frequency from reds, greens, and it's further out of focus than the rest of them, so you notice it more. And also the blue is enhanced a little bit too. So um, the focus from a lens and the capabilities of a sensor to uh, highlight the error in the lens is is a lot more exaggerated for digital cameras than it was for film. Right. Film has the tolerance, digital doesn't. Right. So at the end of the day, we've got some really brilliant lenses, some of the old white school ones and some of the new lenses um, together mixed in with a very fast and accurate focusing system that the tolerance is minimal for error and um, our lenses do wear over time and they start to drift and the body might wear over time or get impacted from the bayonet mount gets bent. So we often see photographers that pop in and they've got back focus issues. So it's either 
focusing back of the subject or front focus issues mm. where the subject is the front quite sharp or there's nothing sharp at all. <laughs> yeah. Resolution. Yeah. And that's a hard one. Or movement. Um, now, we're talking about, you know, competent photographers, so not normally movement. It's normally resolution. Yeah. Um, and then we've just got images that look poor all over, perhaps because of um, ISO or being overworked and things like that. They get they get softer the higher the ISO, the general rule. So, all right. So with the uh, focus error, um, and that makes really good sense, that like here's a camera that was designed for film and basically when they created the digital, they, they took the strip out where the film goes and put a, put a chip there. And Pretty kept everything the same, right? Not much has changed. Even the even the mirror there. That's the so interesting. So, yeah. what are some things that so in knowing this uh, that we can do uh, as photographers uh, to support this technology when we're focusing? So, I've I've just from trial and error, like I know when I had say the earlier uh, versions of digital cameras that that like focus was almost impossible in low light and that's improved a lot in the latest uh cameras but like you know five years ago a 5d mark ii on a you know low contrast forget it you could so i I invented you know or started using all these hacks where i put something bright in the frame to focus on Are, are there any hacks like that that uh help with um focus or just just things to think about when we're um using our cameras and trying to get a, a really accurate focus, particularly at, say, you know, when if you're shooting wide open and you want to get the best out of your lens. Sure, yeah. Well, that's 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 when you need it. Hmm. Um, the, there can be errors in the body and can be errors in the lenses. And so I guess the key is to make sure that, that all of your gear is, is spot on. We, we do see often um, kits come in where we do a, a focus optimization and we balance the lens and the bodies perfectly and the way that we do that is we'll take a a body and adjust it to factory standards and we'll take the lens and adjust it to factory standards separate of each other yeah writing we've done our job properly put them together they're spot on and that gives the client the confidence that when they buy a new lens or a new body that they're all balanced to the same standard and that that's often what has to happen because they do alter and drift and there are some there are uh, deviations in the focus because it yeah, there is almost zero tolerance. Um, so when you're shooting wide open, uh, it's it's critical that the point of focus that you uh, use is the best one for the, the circumstances or the environment they're shooting. So, for example, the center focus point on all digital cameras is more sensitive to light and contrast than the edge sensors. Yep. So if you're, and it's even got diagonal sensors in that built into the center one. So if you're using the far right sensor to focus on a, on a, a portrait or a group shot, um, and you're finding it, it's it, the focus is out on the edges. Try using the center focus point, um, and then focus lock and then recompose. You'll find uh, it more. Accurate. See, this is the uh, style of focus that I hate and yeah. uh, I advise against because it's like for portraits, it's uh, you, you, you kind of lose your composition. But you're saying uh, – now, the, the center point is the sharpest. Are the crosshair now that they've, they've brought into cameras – 
equally as sharp or or it's still sharper in the center okay so so it's sort of it, it doesn't really affect the sharpness it just affects the the capabilities oh, no. to focus in low contrast right so the center point is a larger uh, crosshair with uh, horizontal, vertical, and diagonal capabilities, Right. whereas the edge sensors points are not. And we're talking about single-lens reflex cameras. We're not talking about cameras that focus off the sensor like yep. um, some of the Sonys. Yep. Those cameras. Yep. Um, that's a different uh, beast again, and we can we can delve into that a little bit later. Yep. But uh, the, the SLR cameras um, with the edge-to-edge sensors – it's critical that they're all they are matched on the edges, and sometimes they're not. They do deviate a little bit on the edges, and they can be forward or back of the subject. And sometimes the right can be worse than the left. So we do balance those in a focus optimization, and you can only do it with an electronic adjustment, say at a, at a service center. Um, there's not a lot you can do apart from acknowledge it within the camera. There is an option in most digital cameras now that are sold, say within the last five years, of having a fine-tuned focus option. Yeah. And that's in the menu of the camera. Yeah. And it's quite a little trick to get that right. But when, once you master it, you can actually set up all the lenses that you might have to, to give you more continuity between them. Um, doesn't accommodate zoom lens as well, but it still will give you a general um, you know, focus. For example, you've got that favorite 85-1-4 old yeah. school lens, but it back focuses consistently. So you can fine-tune that to work on your body. You don't have to take it into a service center to do that. It's actually a good feature. But in, our, in, to re, in response to the, to the focus, uh, optimization is a big thing that we do. We see a lot of cameras in for this uh, reason. And shooting wide open, it's, it is unforgiving. Um, using the center point does improve that option. A lot of the cameras that we get in particular for photojournalists, uh, the autofocus system is set where um, you focus from the rear button or the, or the side grip. Yep. So the release button itself is only for release and the AF is set separately. It's it's a not a bad way to operate. It takes yep. a little bit to get used to, but you can you can focus and you can get that part of the, the task um, out of the way and then concentrate on just that expression, and the release is faster then. But actually, the response time for the release is quicker by by about 20 milliseconds when it doesn't have to focus. Yeah, it's a great way to focus, and if yeah. you are new to photography, I, I actually recommend to everyone to, to learn that back button focus. Um, yeah. It doesn't I've, always work with moving subject. It's not too good. <laughs> yeah, I've struggled with it because I've spent so many years, uh, 30 years, uh, focusing the other way, and I, I just really n- need to spend, uh, you know, six months just doing back button and um, yeah. haven't pulled the trigger yet. So that's uh, that, that's a good tip. All right, so it's the center point is a, a little bit more sensitive to light than the other one, so it's going to give you a, an easier uh, time of focusing in those challenging situations. Um, and then, would you go to using uh, the the cross hair points uh, only, rather than using all the points that the camera offers you? Because yeah. some of them are just fillers, aren't they? Like, yeah, they are. And, yeah. and uh, cameras have the option where you can have, um, say, an active focusing system, sort of like a 3D tracking, etc., that that will actively use all, 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 all groups of the sensors yep. around the edge. 
that's good, but you've got to consider this. It's a fair amount of processing required to do that. So it actually slows down the focus just part, just slightly because it's got to think a lot more. Um, it, that's tracking on with all points. All so, points, yeah. So if you've got an option in your camera to select track with only, say, the crosshair, nine, so crosshair nine points. Yeah. Yeah. So I think as a general rule, if um, if you can, work with fewer focus points. I know it's, it's not as easy because you always want that, you know, to focus on that particular spot. But yep. it, 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 I, I've, I've switched over and I've noticed a huge difference in uh, keeper rate now that I've got rid of the, uh, the filler uh, focus yep. points. So um, that, that's a good tip. Just coming back to the shooting wide open on lenses. So uh, I just want to know if this is a myth or true. The sweet spot on most lenses is actually uh, two stops from the extreme. Is that correct? So if you've got a, a lens that shoots uh, wide open at f1.2, say like the 85 on the, the Canon, you, you're probably better off shooting a, a couple of stops in rather than shooting wide open because it's, um, it's not quite as sharp wide open or stopped right down. Is that sure. true? Uh, well, there, there is. Uh, technically, it's 5.6. It's to F8, or F8. F8 technically is, is the actual sweet spot on all lenses. On all lenses. Yeah. Anything smaller than that, you start to stop down and, you, and you're getting less glass, so you, the aberration becomes more um, uh, committed to uh, degradation, whereas wide open, you're getting more glass, so you get a little bit more flare. Right. Um, there's no doubt that an F1.2 to an F, uh, stopping down F2 is a huge difference yep. simply because of the amount of glass that you, you're not using and that very edge stuff causes the light to bounce around a lot and flare and you get this sort of almost a milky look Yep. where, where there's nothing really – it's focused correctly but there's nothing really pin sharp because the, 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 the light scatter is so extreme at, at those really fast lenses. They're nice and you can work them post and get a great effect because that shallow depth of field is fantastic and that's why – Canon, uh, Nikon, and Sony are the, are the major players still in the market simply because they make full-frame sensors. Um, all the other players, which make some lovely cameras, no doubt about that, um, uh, APS-C format, you just don't get that that shallow depth of field for that creative lighting, that, that creative effect. Cool. All right. Um, all right. That's good to know. So, so, and then you, you, people often ask, well, what's the point of having these faster lenses? Well, because it means that, like, you know, if you've got one that uh, goes to say one wide open is one point two, you can still shoot around that f two, and you've got a very fast lens. And yeah. if you buy something that's uh, say at uh, f two point, it makes a huge difference in your ability to shoot in low light. So I. I still think they're they're well worth the investment. Um, just on that for a sec, uh, I often recommend that um, secondhand lenses can be a really good purchase, uh, um, and and also secondhand cameras. Just on the lenses, if you were buying a secondhand lens, what are some things that we should be looking at when we're uh, investigating that lens, and what are some just just quickly some some uh, general signs of uh, wear and tear that that you look at that you know that. Oh, this this is this this part of it's going to go, or the coding's not right. What 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 in a nutshell do you recommend that people look at? Sure. 
Absolutely. Um, uh, it's interesting because uh, I think uh, eBay has brought us a fair amount of business <laughs> where um, there's been some sellers that have just sold stuff either they're not aware that it's faulty in the first place or, or not 100% or that they, they are aware of it and they don't care. So right. I guess the, the key is, is to make sure that you know your seller well and that you've got that they're reputable. Uh, when you're buy, buying optics is is a hard one because it's sometimes online, it's sight unseen. If you get an opportunity to look at it, it's great. When you do get an opportunity to look at, at the optics, you know, a chunk of glass, what you're looking for is is several things. Um, is the movement, so the focusing movement or zoom movement are fluid and don't jam and don't feel gritty. You get that crunchy sound with some oh, old lenses. Yeah, that's yeah. not good, is it? No, not a good sign, that's for sure. You've got, you've got the rosebud back beats in there. It's not good. Uh, no. Um, so uh, looking looking at the, the fluid and the movement and you're, you're zooming and focusing with the lens facing up and you do the same with the lens facing down. Oh, that's interesting. It can change the feel and it shouldn't. So if there is a problem, you'll notice it one way or the other, particularly facing up where you've got gravity pulling the lens down and you're fighting against that. So that's there should be very little difference, noticeable difference between the movement of focus and zoom when you're facing up or down. And the other thing that you're looking for uh, is uh, fluid and uh, smooth movements of the aperture. So on the Nikon lenses, um, you've either got some new lenses, electronic, or the older lenses, a mechanical diaphragm at the back where you can flick the lever with your finger, open and close, because when you take the lens off, it closes down. You can then you'll see a small black lever sticking out the back of the lens. Ah. Um, you can flick that with your finger quite comfortably, won't hurt anything, and you can see that the diaphragm opens and closes with a snap. Right. Canon lenses are a little bit more difficult because they're built-in electronic diaphragm, so you can't physically do it yourself, but you can put it on the body and then stop it down to its smallest aperture and look through the front of the lens and it should open and close with a snap as well very quickly. Excellent. So they're the, they're the mechanical parts of it. The optical aspect of it is, is um, a process that takes a little bit, uh, uh, I don't know, a, a few trials to, to nut it, um, but once you do, it's worth knowing and remembering, it's certainly worth investing the time just to, to analyse what optically the lens looks like inside because you'll save yourself a lot of dollars because you can reject the ones that are poor. You'll identify in your own lenses the state internally um, and you'll also see what's, what's uh, worth ignoring and what's worth being concerned about. There's a there's quite a a lot of people bring in lenses to us and say I'm getting dust on my sense uh, on my images. Yeah, they, they look terrible. It's not the lens; it's the sensor that's causing the dust. Yeah, come out of your shots. Um, the lens won't show dust spots um, on your sensor if there's dust in the lens. It won't show up on the sensor at all. It doesn't matter what aperture you're shooting at. Um, so wait, wait, wait. You, so yeah. dust on the lens is not going to show up on your image. On your image, that's correct. Not as a sharp spot. You know It'll how you be get... a blurry. So if it's on your lens, it's going to be blurry because of how close it is to the lens, right? It'll be only only if you've got, say, something like an extreme wide lens and there's a bit of dust at the very back element. Yeah. And it might show up as a really big blob. Yeah. Like someone sneezed on it. You know, huge. Yeah. 
those sharp dots that you see when you're shooting at, at, at FP lap and yeah. 16 or 32, um, those dust spots are at, uh, at the sensor point. There are dust sitting on the front glass of your uh, CMOS sensor. All right, so d- dust is not an issue on on the on the coating of your lens. What is uh, what what is okay. something that you go that I, I can't buy that because it's got yeah yeah. So optical pollution, there's heaps of them. Um, classic is fungus. If yeah. you're fortunate enough to live in a nice tropical environment, <laughs> the stimulating environment of Melbourne, it, it doesn't lead to a lot of fungus, but it does occur. And fungus can grow and spawn in the lens because it loves glass. It feeds off leather cases and it loves dark and, and dank sort of environments like, you know, the wardrobe where you've got moist clothes in there as well. So that's a, that's a hard. So yeah. is it true? Uh, so some, I've, I've heard people recommend that those little pouches that you get in vitamin packs that absorb the moisture, will they help keep fungus out of your um, lens or is it, yeah? For the first, um, Hour of their life, or two hours of their life. That's about it. <laughs> Once they're saturated with moisture, they <laughs> yeah. won't do anything. Right, and they not they change color. The silica gel will normally change color. It'll go uh, purple or pinkish color. Um, so yeah, look, they're they they're kind of useless unless you're going to change them regularly. The, my my uh, suggestion for uh, fungus to to um, prevent fungus is uh, use your equipment. That's the simplest one. Just use it. Uh, no, if you need to store it, uh, leather's not good. Um, so those dark, funky leather bags are no, that, that look really cool uh, are not doing your lenses any favours. No, not at all. Because they, they just if, – if it's if it's in dark, damp, damp conditions, then fungus can spawn in there really easily and leather is a, is a great transporter of that. Ammonia and bleach uh, kill fungus, so you can oh. easily – Wipe with an ammonia what, uh, saturated wait, cloth. No, 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 that freaks me out. So, how? What, just run me through that. To, yeah, so I, ammonia and bleach they yeah. kill fungus, and it kills it quite well. So, if you've got, if you do have a fungus that, that has appeared, or you can get smell it, um, then with uh, some diluted ammonia or bleach, what, particularly so what dilution ammonia, would you have? Okay, the dilution that I'd go with is at least a 50-50 dilution yep. on, on ammonia and the bleach, you only want about 20% bleach and the rest 80% water because right. bleach is a bit more nasty than the ammonia. Okay, and yeah. where is this going on what part okay. of the lens? So what we're doing is, is we're not putting it on the lens, we're just putting it on the, in the, within the storage uh, compartment. Uh, Okay. So you on a cloth, wipe the inside of your case. Yeah. That'll kill the fungus and stop it. So do that on a like you do that on a regular, say coming up to winter where you know it's going to get damper, or coming up to summer where you know it's going to get damper. To um, if you're in a tropical environment, wipe out the cupboard and wipe out the the case as yep. like one t- a couple of times a year. Would that cover it? Yeah, a couple of times a year would be good. Um, you can also use a bicarb soda and lemon mix as well. That works yep. well. You know, a couple of teaspoons of bicarb soda and a, a half a lemon squeezed into a half a litre. Yep. Uh, that That's also a great mix and wipe that around the inside of the case and the, and the storage area where you keep equipment. So um, you want to reduce the fungus and if you've got also a professional photographer and you live in tropical environments, dry cabinets are an excellent idea. Yep. They run on power. They draw very little. They're lockable, glass at the front. Put all your gear in there and you're sweet. You won't have any issues with fungus at all. Fantastic. Uh, good investment, you know, 
between five hundred and a thousand dollars for for large ones for your whole kit. Uh, so silica gel, no, don't bother with that. Um, you can get large silica gel packs. They're, so they're would that be good for it. traveling? So say yeah. if you're just traveling to a tropical location for five days or something, that then one of those would be worth having. Well, yes and no. Um, one, of, one of the worst things is to travel with a silica gel pack in your camera bag because a lot of them are paper-based, the, the containers on the outside. And I've seen them rub through because of the vibration in the travel environment and that's burst and then oh. they are glass and that goes through the equipment and that's worse. Right. <laughs> so when you're traveling, you, you don't normally have a problem with it. You're not, you're not, the equipment's not stationary long enough to, to form fungus. It's, it's an ultraviolet light that kills it ultimately. Um, so using it is the best thing. When you're looking for fungus or optical pollution, uh, one of the best ways to do it is to get direct light through the lens while you're looking at it. So with the lens off the camera, looking over the front and the back of the lens, with a light above, like something not like a fluorescent tube where that's a soft light, something a bit more harsh like a light bulb. Yeah. You look through the lens almost like you would some binoculars. Yeah. However, the light when you're looking through the lens, you're not actually looking directly at the light. The light is just falling through the optical elements and illuminating them, and you're looking at those elements yourself. So that's one of the best ways to check for optical pollution because fungus is one part, haze is another, where you get this deposit of muck from inside the lens or from the operating environment. And the other one, of course, is is um, separation of, of the balsam and the optics, so they glue together the pieces of glass two bits often. Um, some lenses have 14 elements. Some of them have, uh, you know, uh, six. In Somewhere in the lens, two elements or more will be glued together. Right. And they can separate over time. So you're looking for uh, dust, marks, stains, oil, things like that that will inhibit the, the image quality. And it's, it's a matter of looking for crystal clear glass. If there's dust in there and it's minor, few spots so if you can if you can count five spots of dust in a lens don't worry about it right don't freak out about it that's not unusual you know, the lenses have to have airflow otherwise it'd be like using a bike pump with the end block yeah 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 pump. so so little little you're looking for little scungy spots yeah. and th- and they're going to translate on your image not necessarily as um sharp it, they, they won't appear sharp on the image they'll appear as like Maybe blurred out areas of blur or areas of just lighter, lighter areas. Yep. Or um, in- as we, yeah, right. As we, as we, met, as we mentioned before, that that um, that'll affect the resolve of your image. So mm. when you see an image that's just not sharp, it's often because there's optical pollution in the lens. Right. Know, uh, uh, and filters can cause it too. You know, it's a, a poor quality filter will make a huge difference to the image resolution, and that's one of the one of the uh, tests that I'll tell you about later. We're checking that the lens um, is simply to remove the filter and try it without, because uh, say one out of twenty uh, optical resolution problems that we see in here um, is caused by a filter. Yeah, there's there's so many. Um, you know, you go you, you go to all the expense of buying a, a a fantastic lens, and then they'll put a five dollar filter on the front yeah. of it. It's like so. I I think that uh, 
UV filters are just basically a waste of money, a paperweight, and uh, I prefer if you want to protect the lens to use the uh, lens hood. What What's your thoughts on that? So, um, yeah, you're, you're right. There's some, certainly there's some uh, poor, poor quality filters that aren't worth having on there, um, definitely. And, and for the sake of uh, UV interruption, of the lens, the glass does it well enough. You don't need an extra. Wait, so just to dispel a myth here, I've I've named the UV uh, filter as like buying paint protection for your car. It's an upsell by the camera stores. <laughs> Is it, do you need a UV filter on your lens to protect the coating? I'm going to ask the tech. <laughs> sure. Okay. <laughs> there, you you don't need a UV lens uh, a UV filter on your lens to block the ultraviolet effect um, of haze coming through your, on your, onto your image. The, the lens does that well enough. As right. It, you don't need that added um, UV uh, frequency block, which they do, um, taking out that sort of three, 300 nanometer uh, range. What is good about, a, about UV filters is not the fact that there's a UV filter, it's just the fact it's a protection piece of glass on the front it's cheaper to scratch that than it is to scratch the front of a, of a you know, an 85 1.2 lens or something like that. So um, I think they're a great investment for protecting the front of the lens. But, but it comes at a cost, doesn't it, Wayne? It's well, like- yeah, there's, there's – uh, we, we even have some reasonable quality filters um, in price uh, that do cause an interference with the image and cause uh, resolution fall off. Um, and it's quite noticeable, particularly on the 70 to 200 mil sort of lenses, um, that focal range. It, it's, it's not um, necessarily because it's just a poor quality filter, although that is the majority of them. Um, it's simply a frequency mismatch where the frequency of the filter um, is interfering with the frequency of the lens. And when I say frequency, Light travels at a frequency, and when it passes through glass, that frequency changes just a little bit. Yep. Um, if if you've got an interference from the filter and the lens, and they they're of similar frequency, it it, it causes a, a sort of a, a an offset, um, and it makes a double image almost. Right. Uh, and you so your edges just don't resolve as well as what they should do. So when you when you're looking at the detail of say you know, text or hair or eyelashes or things like that. Um, it's just not quite crisp. Yep. You know, try it without the filter. It's a simple test. Yep. Um, sometimes that can, that can cause it. But uh, in, in response to your question about the uh, the protection of hoods, yeah, hoods are a great thing. They they also, um, you know, they keep the sun out of the lens, which direct sun into any lens causes flare and bounce, um, and that can cause aberrations on your image, which aren't desirable. Yep. Unless you want that effect. Um Otherwise, uh, yeah, uh, uh, rubberized hoods and the, and the ones that come with the they're good. Um, you just have to be careful of netting because if you throw a filter on and then you screw a hood onto that, that that uh, very corners sometimes mm. darken, and you'll see that in your image where you're getting the actual hood itself netting in it. Um, and the other thing that it can cause too is that a hood can cause shadow when you're taking a flash shot if you're using the pop-up flash on the camera. Right. Because it's quite low, and it's and it causes a shadow of 
the actual hood itself. On oh, the that's interesting. Stuff. You had to work that out the hard way when someone came in with their camera going, <laughs> I don't understand, what's this shadow? The, yeah, the detective only, work. That makes sense. on the wide shots, yeah, that, yeah. you see there. But that's an easy one to see because you just pop the flash up, take a shot and look at the ground. Yeah. And you'll see the shadow of the lens hood projected on the ground and it's quite quite evident when it is. You get this big dark point at the bottom of your image. Right, okay. That's a, that's a good tip. Um, all right, that's cool. So, yeah, but just back to now if you've got some tips for um, just uh, saving uh, cameras and better ways to look after them so we're not um, having to have them, I guess, repaired as, as often. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, I, I think probably one of the, the biggest expense that uh, – a consumer, prosumer or professional photographer will, will enjoy with their camera apart from the regular services um, is the sensor cleaning. Yep. And that's, that's a massive one because uh, you've, got a, you've got a shutter in there in the camera that's moving very, very quickly. You've got a mirror which is a bit like a, a fan and then you've got a lens which is like a bike pump and, it, and especially, you know, that sort of uh, 100 to 400 Canon lens, it's a classic. You can feel the the air on your eye when you pump the zoom. <laughs> so so, so that's true. That's pumping, sucking dust sucking, onto your sensor. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, and there's so and the dust that falls on your sensor that causes issues. You can't see it with your eye. It's that small. The cameras will detect dust, um, sort of like down to three microns in size, which is tiny. Yep. Um, basically, the dust that you see on your images is during uh, the point where you're taking shots where you're stopping down. So F11, you see a little bit, but yeah. F16 um, and F32 and 64, if you're doing some macro stuff or you've got the lens that does that, that'll show up all the dust. And the reason for that is that the light that comes out of the back of the lens at F32 is far more directional than the light at F2.8. It's quite scattered. It's a bit like the difference between um, the shadow that you see in a sunny day on the ground compared to an overcast day. You hardly see any shadow. It's still there, but it's really, really soft. So that's that's simply the reason why, is that the, the light that comes out of the lens is, is very directional, and the dust that sits in front of the sensor on, on the glass at the front is casting a shadow on the pixels. And you only notice it um, monochrome, typically blue skies, that sort of thing. Yeah, it's always on a blue sky shot at F16 yeah. and I go, gee, it looks like someone uh, honestly has eaten their lunch. And then if you've done a photo shoot where you've got, you know, 50 shots all on the same background That's where you've got this, it's just, you know, and you spend all that time retouching, I think uh, a little uh, a, a trip to uh, the camera clinic or making sure, what what can I do to avoid that sort of scunge build up then, sure. Wayne? So, um Keep the lenses, the outside of your lens clean. Wipe it with a with a cloth, a lint-free cloth, something like a microfiber cloth. Yep, it's good. Um, and and keep your case where you keep your equipment clean as well, so you've got less dust pumping through with the lenses. So it's a good idea to give your ca- your camera case a little vacuum out. Vacuum, every, absolutely, every go while. for it. Yeah, yeah. Yep. yep, take the coins and money out, the memory cards first. <laughs> you don't want to retrieve those from the vacuum cleaner. Um, the other thing that's uh, it, good is that don't put the lens cap, especially the body cap, in your pocket because it just picks up tons of lint. It's plastic and it's static. All charged, right, yes. So, yeah, that's a, that's a classic. Pop it in the pocket, then you put it on the front of the camera and that's not good. Um, so 
I keep swear it. I keep my lens cap always on the front. Yes. Okay, so good idea. Yeah, yeah, out of the pocket. Yeah. Uh, when you change the lens, uh, have the camera facing down. That helps. The, the atmospheric dust that blows in there can just drop in. Um, having said that, you can't stop windy days and things like that. It still blows up. Um, so, uh, otherwise, the the one once you're in a situation, that's that's about the most that you can do as a photographer to reduce the dust that's getting in there is keeping those external things that go on and off the body, keeping them clean. Mm. Uh, eyepieces work well as, also because the air, not only does it blow through the lens when you pump the zoom, it also sucks through the camera as well. So if you zoom out, um, air's got to enter in through the camera system and the eyepiece is one spot it does. So keeping a, a, a glass eye cap on that is a good idea. Some of the cameras have that option where you can have a glass eyepiece cover. Um, on they, on the camera? Yeah, yeah, on the back of the camera. Um, yeah. Not all of them. It's it's difficult in, the, in in some cameras. The pro cameras are sealed anyway, so it won't make any difference. Yeah. Uh, but some of the models do have that option of a round screw on eyepiece. Right. Um, this is an accessory. And um, the uh, otherwise, it's just you probably need to consider getting a sensor cleaned on a regular basis and then doing something yourself in between because when you get a sensor clean at a service center, all of the good service centers will clean the optical path, not just the sensor. So right. they'll clean the main mirror, the autofocus mirror, the sub mirror. They'll clean the mirror box and all the felt that's inside there. They'll clean around the shutter and then they'll clean the sensor as well. Yep. So that reduces the loose dust that's inside. and. I know when we when we do sensor cleans and, and they line up every morning and we, we, we do um, you know probably between ten and fifteen yeah. in the mornings and they're ready by by uh, midday. Um, when we do it, once we've done the clean, we're doing at least ten to fifteen shots after the clean's completed just to make sure there's no loose dust that falls back into the. Ah, right. Um, it's very easy to be fooled that you've got it clean and then you you the dust could be sitting on the shutter blades or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, and interesting, most of the dust um, that you actually see that is in the camera is white. It's light-colored dust. It's hardly ever dark dust. Yep. It's, it, um, and most of it's probably skin anyway. Oh, God, gross. <laughs> yeah, <that's terrible. laughs> In actual fact, there's a, there's a little little creature that we, we had the, <laughs> the fortune of photographing. We call them a dust mite. They're actually – well, they are a dust mite. Yeah. Some people refer to them as a shutterbug because we've had clients that have brought in a camera and I said, they've just freaked out because they've seen this huge bug crawling inside their camera. And it's not that huge, but it's magnified about 12 times in the eyepiece. And they do look pretty scary, but they're dust mites. Wow. And they'll live in the camera and they'll live off part of the emulsions and their glues and things like that that are inside, enough to keep them alive. Um, and we had one... Years ago, I remember, that crawled across the piece of film exactly at the time when the shutter triggered, so when I was taking a shot. And I got an exposure of the shutter bug on the negative of the film, and we've got that. We scanned it. It was our first uh, ever captured shutter bug. <laughs> right, and so they live in the uh, – they live in they live, the – Yeah, yeah. Yep. Wow. They live in the camera. Um, and, you know, they, they, they come from – well, I hope there's, there's millions of them all over the place. Um, so, you know, they'll probably get from the camera case or from, from us somehow or wherever, uh, from that environment. Yeah, and, and you'll see them 
walking through the viewfinder sometimes if they come across there, but they do live in there. We've had some strange things living in cameras. Um, so we're talking about keeping the dust out, getting the camera cleaned regularly. Um, when I say regularly, maybe it might be three months, every three months or six months, something like that, depending on your, your use. So and you do that the, yourself? Or? No, at, the, at a service centre. So you right. take it to your nearest service centre, they'll do a sensor clean, probably a charge. Some of them have free, you know, for example, uh, Lycas have free sensor cleans. Um, uh, NPS and CPS members, Nikon Professional Account of Permission Services, have um, sensor clean included in that option. So he goes, yep. Um And you'll get the, the mirror box and the whole... Uh, light path cleaned out and it makes it much easier to keep that clean when when the whole area is actually you know, more dust free than what it would be if you're just doing it yourself. Now doing it yourself is not a problem and they, the manufacturers make it that feature available for that reason because it's unrealistic to expect to get into a yeah. service center all the time and there's also that cost too. So when when you're cleaning the sensor and you're trying to remove the dust on it, a lot of cameras have the ultrasonic clean mode in the cameras. Now, that sounds good and it works for most meteorites, big pieces of dust, but the small stuff that sticks to it, it won't shift it at all. Right. So it's a bit, bit of a token gesture, but at least it's something. Um, the clean mode in the camera is a safe way to have the mirror up and the shutter open so you can see inside the camera and get the dust out. Yep. The problem is, is that the dust you can't see with your eyes because most of the time it's smaller than what we can, we can visualise, we can see. Um, so using something like um, a clean, dry air source is a good option. Yep. Hand blowers are the safest. First of all, they've got a rubber tip, and the second thing is, is that then you can't get enough pressure on them to do any damage. Right. But it's critical that you keep your blower, hand blower, in a clean plastic bag because otherwise it sits in the case, the case and it often sucks in dust itself. So the yep. first time you use it, you just contaminate the sensor even yeah. more. Leaving in there. Um, keeping that clean, using the hand blower to get rid of the, the, the particles that the ultrasonic clean won't shift um, will do most of the stuff that you need. Sometimes you'll need to wipe it, um, particularly if it's, uh, if it's fluid-based. And when you get to that situation, you can purchase a cleaning kit and there's plenty around um, that are, uh, say, swabs that you can wipe and fluids that come with it as well. Yep. Um, don't use the things like the, uh, what are they called, anti-static brushes or the magic brush and things like that. They're, they're a physical brush that's supposed to pick up the dust from the sensor when you wipe across. Yep. However, what they tend to do is, like, like any brush, when you push down on the, the blades, the bristles splay out yep. and they go often underneath the sensor or around the side of the sensor into the shutter so sometimes you end up dragging grease because there is grease in there oh, God. <laughs> across the sensor. Um, I've seen them make it worse and then you've got to keep that clean yourself. So um, how do you keep it clean? With high pressure and sometimes the high pressure itself contaminates the brush itself with oil. Right. It's very hard to get um, really clean dry air source from you know, the garage compressor is not going to cut it. Um, and the, the cans of dust off, those sort of compressed airs in, in a can, yep. aren't the safest thing to use too because they have a liquid propellant in them. And that can come out sometimes, particularly if you just shake the can or you tilt yeah. it on the side. 
they spray out. <laughs> the other thing too is that we had a client that brought in a camera and it was all greasy and slippery <laughs> at the bottom of the camera. Right. And I said, what did you do? And he said, well, I was cleaning my sensor and I accidentally grabbed the can of WD-40. <gasps> no! He sprayed that in his sensor. No! <laughs> and what happened? Oh, no! Oh, that was, it was one of the hardest things to actually remove. Did you get it off? Yeah, we did. We went <laughs> oh, my God! Filter, under the filter. But the whole camera was well lubricated, the camera. <laughs> um, yeah, the whole thing was saturated in it. So it took us a while to, to remove that and stop the oil coming back, putting oil barriers and everything. So, yeah, that's a mistake. Oh, really my God. Um. I'm going to have to get you back, Wayne, because we're running out of time. But like on that note, and, and we'll, we'll, we'll get to all the other uh, questions that I had to ask you, and we've got plenty of them. We could do another five podcasts, I think. But um, what is the dumbest thing that a, a customer has ever done, just so we all feel better about ourselves? <laughs> well, it was, it, there's lots of them, and I, I reckon I'll save some of the some of the bigger ones for later. But just just recently, um, I think Superglue was the, the enemy of cameras. And just just uh, yesterday, I had a client ring up, and he was having a chuckle to himself. He said, "My rubber grip on my lens was loose. They do become loose because they stretch, and um, they're designed to be replaced." But he wanted to glue it down, so he used Superglue and tacked his rubber grip on his zoom down, and the next day he went to use his lens and it was sea solid. <laughs> oh, my God. Very was frustrating. He was having a good laugh about it, but uh, certainly not the dumbest thing. We've had plenty of all those, but I, I think that maybe that's a, a temptation for the listeners to, to come back the next time. What we might set up is an Ask Wayne kind of forum, and then when we get those questions, we'll have a whole stack and we can come back and do another podcast where people can all ask their uh, burning photography uh, gear questions because I've got, like, you know, hours more. So, um, yeah, I do appreciate your time today, and, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to speaking to you again. So thanks, Wayne. Thanks, Dean. That was such an interesting interview with Wayne. I can totally relate to the story about the WD-40 and the canned air because what? yeah, because my that my WD-40 and my air in a can is uh, sit right next to each other, so it Why? can easily be done. I don't understand. No WD-40 and canned air need to be like on separate well in, in their own separate. Compartments now and I'm going to do that. Yes, yes. But that, that I use them both um, in the same at around the same time, so that's why they are sitting next to each other. But oh my goodness! You don't want to be mixing those two up. Oh my goodness! Yes, I'm going to be so careful now. <laughs> Gee, that's bad. I know, and they yeah. fixed it. Oh, good on them. Good on them. Yeah, clever. Wow. Yes. But don't you think that's a weird name, WD-40? I mean, who, that's who so, names is that an Australian invention? I don't what know. What are you going to call it? Let's just call it WD-40, <laughs> mate. It sounds like an Australian name for something. It really does. It's probably WD-40. not. WD-40 <laughs> fixes everything. Just chuck a bit of WD-40. Yeah, it's so good. I love it. I hope it's Australian now that I've made it sound Australian. Okay. Well, it probably isn't but anyway um do you do use the wd-40 silicon as well 
What is that? Um, so they now make that you go to hardware stores every <laughs> week, Val. You're just so now. Like, listen to you, WD. Like, who are you? <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit weird. Um, but uh, by the way, it is. Um, Norm Larson, founder of Rocket Chemical Company, is considered the original founder of WD-40, just so you know. Is he an Aussie? Norm, I don't think so. I don't know. It doesn't look like it because WD-40 is found in four out of five American households. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, next I to don't... the canned air. If you next can't to find your WD forty, then look for the canned air. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's where it's kept. No, the WD forty silicon. It's um, it's the one in the like black and yellow or red or black and red can. What do you do with it? Uh, I don't know what other people do with it, but I mix it with paint to make achieve, the paint go achieve, further. Achieve certain effects. Ah, mm. well, look at you, WD4. <laughs> this podcast is sponsored by WD40. It's Thank so you very not. much. No. <laughs> All right, we'll stop talking about WD40 now. And there was a spike in sales of WD40. <laughs> <laughs> so you were going to tell us also about um, a VIP program, I believe, Gina. So, and again, I'm just passionate about these guys. So the camera clinic, they do fantastic work and they actually, they specialize in Canon repairs and they're also an authorized Nikon, Fuji and Leica um, dealer. So they do repairs for those camera companies and they do lost card recovery. If you ever like lose your data on your card and, and also the big one, the regular one is CCD cleaning. So cleaning your sensor. Now, the hassle with that, it, particularly if you're a pro photographer, is that's your camera. That's that's what you work with. So mm. having to lose that, uh, and often there's other places that will clean the CCD, but you lose the camera for two or three days. And what happens if you've got to shoot? You're without a camera. So these guys have uh, this uh, VIP membership and basically you get a priority repair. And so what I do is if I drop it in first thing in the morning, it's back at by midday. It's done. So you only lose the camera for, for half a day. So wow. you can uh, join up. So I, check out like cameraclinic.com.au and uh, they will service uh, country areas as well. So for anyone in Australia, and they'll also do uh, international stuff if you, you know, if it works out with the uh, postage. So it's it's worth um, checking out. And they've also got some good little um, bits of information, um, stuff you need to know if you're interested in that sort of uh geeky stuff Val okay awesome well trust us guys this episode was not actually brought to you by either the camera clinic or WD40 but we hope you enjoyed it nonetheless Uh, Gina where do we find you online so you can find me at ginamilitia.com and that's all social media. So G-I-N-A-M-I-L-I-C-I-A. And if you want to connect with me uh, personally, then you might want to check out the gold community. So that's ginamilitia.com gold community. 
Awesome. You'll find me at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, on Twitter and Instagram. And, of course, if you're a listener and you want to join the free group on Facebook for uh, the listener community, just search for So You Want to Be a Photographer podcast community and request to join. We'd love to have you in there. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Photographer. For more information, free resources, and Gina's regular newsletter on everything you need to know to become a successful photographer, visit ginamilitia.com. 